0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka The Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for the day's very special episode of TCCP is none other than everyone's favourite up-and-coming cricket journalist, Mr. Kieran McCarthy. So Kieran, first things first, mate, great to have you on the podcast for a chat about all things county cricket and the LV County Championship. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far?
1: Today is a good day, um, as we are all aware, Sam Hain has finally made his debut in international cricket after many years of, of, of time that he probably should have done, um, and, he, and he got some runs. So, you know, we're still riding that high. We
0: really are, mate, and you've beat me to it. I was going to mention it in the podcast, I did promise the listeners last week, but Samuel Robert Hain is now an England's international Honestly, I've never, ever been so nervous watching that man bat. My palms were sweating. My teeth were chattering. I was an absolute wreck, to be honest, at Trent Bridge. But it was worth it, wasn't it? 89 from 82 balls, second leading run scorer in the entire match, behind only Will Jacks of Surrey. A great day for England. Absolutely superb for those lads. And do you know what? It wasn't just Sam. Obviously, Sam, for me, takes centre stage because I've been campaigning, basically, for five years for his inclusion. Whether it's been on Twitter, here on the podcast, Instagram, in the ground, wherever. I wanted him to make his England debut and I'm so, so glad that he he took his chances and, and bossed it out there. But aside from Sam as well, just a, a massive congratulations to the other three debutants as well. George Scrimshaw, Tom Hartley and Jamie Smith. It was incredibly special watching those guys represent the three lines on the crown after watching them dominate in county cricket. They thoroughly deserve the opportunity and... To be honest, each and every single one of them took it, in particular Scrimshaw. The way in which he bounced back after those first two overs really was fantastic. So shout out to each and every single one of those England debutants, did themselves and did the country incredibly proud in that forty-eight run victory over Ireland on Saturday. But Kieran, we're not here to discuss England. We'll probably leave that chat to the, to the World Cup, to be honest, because we'll have plenty to discuss when it comes to ODI cricket in the month of October. But for today's episode, we are of course looking back on this week's round of action in the LV County Championship because let's face it, an awful lot happens over the course of these last seven days. So we may as well start with the action in Division One because the title is now all but Surrey's as a result of a massive result between Hampshire and Essex in Chelmsford, where the Rose and Crown of Hampshire beat Essex by three wickets at the Cloud County Ground. That has massive ramifications, as we shall discuss. And that was a huge victory for the Southern County. So, Hampshire, a massive, massive result, to say the least. Then, heading to North London, we saw Warwickshire beat Middlesex by eight wickets at Lords. Talking of Surrey, the team that I did mention beforehand, they played out a draw at the Oval against already relegated Northamptonshire. Then we move across to the West Country, where Somerset and Kent played out a rain-affected draw. And finally, up Old Trafford, arguably the most weather-affected of all of the games in the 15th round. We saw a draw between Lancashire and Nottinghamshire, which saw only one innings being played, in which Lancs scored 272 for 7. So, not much action in the northwest this week. But, yeah, for both teams, Division 1 status is secured. So, I suppose that is the important thing in the end. And talking of the Division 1 table, before we look at the analysis and we take a deeper dive into the action in the first division this week, Let's take a look at that table, because at the top, on 213 points, are the brown caps of Surrey. In second, as a result of that defeat on home soil of Hampshire, we've got Essex on 193 points. In third are Hampshire on 173 points. In fourth are Warwickshire on 170 points. In fifth are Lancashire on 152 points. In sixth and seventh are Somerset and Nottinghamshire, respectively, on 140 and 129 points apiece, in eighth on 99 points are Kent. In ninth, just one point below Kent are Middlesex on 98 points, and in 10th and bottom place, unfortunately having been mathematically relegated from the first division this week, are Northamptonshire on 74 points. So an awful lot to digest, an awful lot to discuss. And Kieran, we have to start in Chelmsford, don't we? because that was the huge result. This was the results which has basically tipped the scales well and truly in Surrey's favour. Essex needed to win that match, didn't they? Even a draw probably wouldn't have been enough if you add on those extra five points. The gap still would have, would have stood at 15 and it would have been a tremendously difficult feat to overtake Surrey in that final round. But, but with that defeat at the hands of the Rose and Crown of Hampshire, is that the title race well and truly over in your opinion?
1: Uh, yes, because uh, I, I can't see a world in which um, Essex get a full point win and Surrey are held to you know five points or, or whatever. Um, you know, it, it, Surrey can basically do it with just just bonus points, um, and I can't see them not um, not getting at least some of them, or you know, a draw or a win. Um, it would have been really interesting had had Essex won. Um, and they were presented a good opportunity to do it um, by Surrey, um, who obviously don't slip up very often. Um, you know, have seen throughout the season how how dominant they've been in most games. So for them to slip up, it, obviously, Essex were handed a, a fantastic opportunity. But Hampshire were also very good um, and, you know, managed to, to, to obviously beat them. And even if they hadn't done, um, I think... The, the way that the game was, was shaping up at the end, it, it would have just been a draw rather than an Essex win. Um, there was one point on the last day where it could quite easily have been an Essex win, but um, James Vincent, Liam Dawson um, batted the game away from them um, and, yeah, basically has, has taken the title away from them and, and put one and a half Surrey hands on it.
0: Well, let's just discuss that game in a bit more length because it was an incredible game, wasn't it? It was a very topsy-turvy affair, There were times where Essex were well and truly on top. And then, of course, Hampshire came back into it. There's that crazy final day as well, where Essex declared 153 for eight. And I've got to ask your opinion about that. Did you agree with the declaration? Because we mentioned beforehand, they couldn't afford to draw, but they really couldn't afford to lose. Because if they lost, the title would be well and truly out of their reach. And as a result, it now is. So in terms of that declaration, do you think it was a little bit too bold or do you think it was the right call in the heat at the moment? What did you make of Tom Wesley's decision to declare on 153 for eight?
1: I think it was, it was quite a fair declaration um, in terms of it, it, it was in the sweet spot of um, one of the sides is, is probably going to win from that point. It, it gave Hampshire enough to go after um, so that Essex would have been able to take wickets had, it been, um, had they batted a little bit longer um, it would have probably got to a point where Hampshire would have just dead battered and, and made sure that Essex couldn't win. Um, whereas you know where they got to, Hampshire were obviously attacking, um, and that that paid dividends for Essex in in the opening stages of of the final innings when they had uh, Hampshire not very many for four, but then obviously James Vinson and Liam Dawson as a previously mentioned took the game away um, it, it could have very much gotten to a point had one or two more quick wickets fallen um, at that point and, and if um, one or both of, of Dawson and, and Vince got out um, Essex probably would have won the game um, but it was it was it, it was a very good um, pair of innings from from both of those guys, um, and it was a li- little bit sort of like like a, a boxing match in the sense that Hampshire was sort of up against the ropes and and just started throwing haymakers. Um, I mean, one of the, one of James Vince's first five or ten balls, he spanked over the top for six, and it was just sort of like a, a declaration of of his mindset that he was going to come out and and try and score and, and not let the wickets that had gone before him um, dictate. You know where the game was going to go, um, and and the attacking cricket that him and and Liam Dawson played made it so that once it got to the back end, and and even though both of those guys did get out towards the end, um, it wasn't too difficult a task um, for either um, for any of the Hampshire bats below them to to get to. But I, I certainly think it was it was the right decision for Essex to declare because you know I, I, as I mentioned. A draw wouldn't have done much for them. Obviously, they've been in a slight better position, but, you know, they were going for the win. They were attacking and and I like the decision. And I think that was the best chance of getting a result. And um, so, you know, even though it didn't go their way, at least they can say, you know, they, they tried to to set up a game and, you know, it didn't go their way. But it, it looked like it would have done at one point. And it was just a couple of very good innings that that ensured that they couldn't win.
0: It certainly was, not it was a crazy final day, wasn't it, that we saw in Chelmsford this week? Because as you mentioned, Kieran, Hamsh got off to an absolutely diabolical start, didn't they? They were 32 for four within 11 overs. And then James Vince and Liam Dawson completely flipped the scripts on its head. 184 runs for the fifth wicket. An outstanding partnership. It really was completely changing the narrative of this game. James Vince scoring 89 and Liam Dawson Manufacturing a masterful 119 from 150 balls, which included 16 boundaries. Love the way in which he took the attack to Matt Critchley and Simon Harmer in particular as well. I thought it was a magnificent knock from the Hampshire rounder. And again, if we're looking at the bigger picture, because over this winter, England do travel to India. We've got a test series in India on tracks which are going to be quite spin conducive, just looking at them on paper. I've got to ask the question, Kieran, will Liam Dawson? On that plane, because you look at the stats from this season 793 runs at an average of 41.73, so he's the club's third leading first class run scorer in 2023. And then you look at the wickets as well, he's done brilliantly 40 wickets at 22.07, Hampshire's third leading wicket taker in the competition. If it was up to you, given the form which he's displayed in both red ball and white ball cricket over the course this summer. Should Liam Dawson be on the plane to India come that Test Series?
1: Well, the, the interesting thing is that had Ben Stokes not come out of retirement, I'm fairly sure Liam Dawson would have been on the plane. Uh, I'm fairly sure he was told that he was going. Um, and then Ben Stokes came out of retirement and he was basically pushed to the side. Um, and, and that's sort of been the, the story of his England career, that he's he's always been you know in and around, um, but not quite good enough. I think at the moment he is very much good enough. I think he's he's in one of the the best periods of his career. Um, and you look at what he's done in, in one day cricket recently. The seven for fifteen against uh, Warwickshire in the the semi final of the the one day cup, and then uh, a very important innings um, in the final of the one day cup. Obviously, wasn't able to get Hampshire over the line, but um, it was a valuable knock nonetheless. Um, Obviously this the spinners that that are ahead of him. Um Adil Rashid is is obviously you know gonna be in England's um squad and he's basically one of the first names on the team sheet. Um I think Moen Ali similarly just because he's so good with the bat um and Liam Livingston obviously offers you know a bit of everything, can hit the ball a long way, um, and and you know can bowl both types of spin. Um I think in reserve it's obviously a toss up between Liam Dawson and, and Ray and Ahmed. And I think it's, it's essentially um, just, you know, what, what either of those brings you. I think um, with the bat, Dawson's probably your better option, even though Ahmed is an exciting batter um, and has that explosive nature about him. Whereas Dawson, you'd say is a little bit more measured. I think it's, it's really just what you think, who, who you think going to, you're going to get the most out of with the ball um, in those conditions. I think, Dawson's obviously, obviously going to be your more consistent bowler. Um, but might England potentially see Ryan Ahmed as, as your more um, sort of wicket-taking bowler? Potentially so. Um, so it's really just a toss-up of, of if you're wanting control or if you're wanting someone who might go for a few more wickets and uh, might go for a few more runs, um, but take wickets. And I think because of that, I think Ryan Ahmed, probably slightly above him in, in the pecking order. Um, and Especially, you know, if it if it was that Adil Rashid was to get injured or, or whatever, I think they might favour um, Ahmed just because of wicked taking abilities. But then again, the experience of of Liam Dawson would also be invaluable in that situation. So it's a really difficult question to answer. I think Dawson certainly deserves a chance um, to play for England. He was in the squad um, for the last World Cup, but but didn't play. Um, I assume. That, that Ahmed is probably just, just ever so slightly above him. Um, and, you know, looking looking to the future, that, that might be the case with Ahmed, you know, growing and, and getting better in both facets. And, and obviously the, the, there's a lot of mention of him working on his, his leg spinner. Obviously he's got a very good googly as well. So I think, although Dawson is deserving of a chance, I think Ahmed's probably slightly above him.
0: Even in Test cricket, though, because obviously that's centred around the World Cup and, and white ball cricket. And fair enough, I do think Rehan, definitely someone to invest in. That boy is going a long way in the game of cricket. He's got one of the most potent and, and destructive wrong in world cricket right now, if you were to ask for my opinion. But in terms of red ball cricket, yes, we have seen Rehan in Test cricket, had that memorable debut, took that five for in Pakistan. Then, of course, you've got Jack Leach as well, who is the, the tried and tested Spinner for England. In terms of Liam Dawson for that India Test series, do you think he can make a case for selection off of the back of these championship performances?
1: Uh I would have had him instead of Moen Ali in the ashes, to be honest. Um, just you know, from how well he's been playing this season, obviously Mo and Ali hadn't hadn't played Red Bull cricket for a year and a half, two years before that. Um, and the fact that that he's now, you know, hung his hung his boots up again. Um, I don't see any any reason why. Why Liam Dawson shouldn't be there, but then again, you, you look at um you know the guys that were taken to to Pakistan last time at very similar conditions. It was Ryan Ahmed and Will Jacks. Um, obviously Will Jacks was was more there for his batting, but took a six for, um, and Ryan Ahmed took a five for um, on debut, I believe. So again, um, I, I would certainly have had Liam Dawson, but I, I have you know a suspicion that um that's possibly not the way that England are going to go. Um. Then again, as I mentioned, he he would have been on the plane to the World Cup had Ben Stokes not come out of retirement. So he's obviously you know up up there in the thoughts of of England selectors. So potentially, so I I would certainly certainly take him if he plays or not. Um, it is another question, but yeah, I, I would have him in the squad for it. Yeah.
0: Well, I definitely think he should be in and around the mix, but I suppose if we were to play some some devil's advocates, and I hate bringing up strike rate because it's something which was utilised against Sam Hain for years, but the, the one thing which maybe could play on England's mind would be Dawson's strike rates in first-class cricket this season, which is 56.2. So they, they usually look at players who are striking about 70, 80 in the modern game, so that might be something which just goes against him, but... In terms of his spin bowling, he's been one of the best spinners in the country this season. And based off of performances, based off of the consistency, the reliability that he displays for Hampshire week in, week out, he should be going. If it was up to me, he would be on that plane, definitely giving Jack Leach some competition. So we'll wait and see. But a sensational innings from Liam Dawson and Hampshire, ultimately getting across the line by just three wickets in that thrilling encounter at the Cloud County ground. And... Just on the flip side, Kieran, aside from the the discussion about Hampshire and Liam Dawson, we do have to discuss Essex because, unfortunately, this does appear to be the end of the title hopes in 2023. But overall, how would you rate their season? Because they have gone toe-to-toe with Surrey for, for 13 games, haven't they? They've brought them all the way to the finishing line. They've been a fantastic competitor. It goes back to that old saying of it takes two to tango, and Essex have definitely played their part. How do you summarise their season in 2023, especially considering the fact that they finished fourth last season, so they have improved? How do you look upon their season ahead of this final round of fixtures in the first-class format?
1: I think they've been fantastic. I, I think they have been the second-best side um, in the division, other um, than Surrey. Um, I think you know you look at the, the batting ranks. Um, Tom Wesley's been one of the best players in county cricket um, this season. Alistair Cork. Um, you know timeless has just been phenomenal Dan Lawrence um, has been as dangerous as he ever is Um, Matt Critchley both sides has been phenomenal and then you look at the bowlers um, Jamie Porter and Sam Cook opening the bowling have have been phenomenal Um, they've both taken bags of wickets between them obviously Simon Harmer goes without saying has taken a lot of wickets and has been a very important cog Um, and I've actually really liked the the overseas recruitment as well, um, and and it's it, it's clear that they've gone a certain way with the overseas recruitment. It would have been Will Sutherland um, had he not got injured, um, who obviously gives bowling, but very valuable lower order runs. And the two guys that that they've had in this season, Doug Bracewell, international quality bowler who hits a big ball and, and you know got them quick runs at, at the the back order and um, the, the lower order. On, on a couple of occasions, Umesh had have the exact same thing. Um, he hit 13 off three balls in the second innings this game and, and hit a 50 off 40, 45 balls or whatever. Um, so, you know, the, the recruitment ha- has been very obviously that, you know, they want somebody who who's going to take wickets um, and they've had international quality bowlers that, that have been able to do that. And they've also been able to add runs at the bottom quite quickly. So once you're already... 300 400 and then you've got guys that can hit you a quick 30 40 50 and set up a declaration and set up a game as they tried to do here um and i I recall doug bracewell um having a similar knock earlier in the season um you know they've they've been a very good side because those players have, have bedded in perfectly um i think unfortunately for them um what they either certainly are losing in Dan Lawrence and what they might be losing in Alistair Cork means that next season they possibly won't be in this position because there are other sides that are probably going to improve um, and I'm not sure how much they improve from from this season to the next. I think they, they actually get a little bit worse. Um, so unfortunately for them, it, if uh, the title has gone, which it looks like it has, they might not be in and around it for for the next couple of seasons. That's
0: an incredibly interesting point you make there, because there is a lot of uncertainty, isn't there? In particular around Sir Alistair Cook, because that there was something in the press, wasn't there, about him retiring at the end of this season. Essex then released that statement saying that it wasn't true and he's still mulling over his future. He would be a massive loss, wouldn't he? Because even at this stage of his career, given the fact that he's achieved everything, he doesn't need to be playing for Essex, but he loves this club. He absolutely loves county cricket, loves churning out runs in the county championship. And yet again, he's been one of their most consistent performers. He scored over 500 runs yet again in a county season. So if they lost him, you have a massive void at the top. And I completely agree with the analysis about Dan Lawrence as well. How on earth do you replace him? I know they've got Jordan Cox to come in and he will provide quality. He'll provide that almost similar basball style of, of cricket to Dan Lawrence. But... It's going to be very, very different, isn't it? That top order, if Sir Alistair Cook goes, and of course, the bringing in of Jordan Cox as replacement for Dan Lawrence, it's going to have a different balance and a different feel to it. So it will be interesting for Essex. And again, I do think recruitments will be a huge factor for the Southern Club heading into the future. But in terms of this season, they should be tremendously proud. As we both said, Kieran, they've gone tête-à-tête, haven't they? With, With Surrey. They've been a fantastic contender, definitely worthy of second place, if not first, to be honest, at times this season. And you spoke about Tom Wesley. He's been so consistent, Mr. Reliable for Essex, one of three men in Division 1 this summer to have scored over 1,000 runs alongside Josh Bohannon and James Rue. He's been exceptional. And then, of course, with the ball in hand, Jamie Porter taking over 50 wickets, Simon Harmer taking 60 wickets this season, the leading wicket-taker in the entire division. Essex should be very, very proud of themselves. But I completely agree with the apprehension heading into the future. Some big decisions need to be taken down in Chelmsford if they are to overtake Surrey and become that Red Bull Titan, which they once were in 2017 and 2019. So interesting times in Chelmsford, to say the least. And we'll have to wait and see what happens over the course of this off-season. But talking of Surrey, Kieran, before we discuss another legend, of county crickets in the same vein of, of Sir Alistair Cook. We have to discuss that game at the Oval because that was ridiculous, wasn't it? Let's face it, seeing Surrey being rolled out for 185 runs on home soil, not even getting a single batting bonus point. What did you make of that crazy game between Surrey and Northants in South London this week?
1: Four North Ants for the first... Obviously, two innings, it, it was sort of the perfect game for them. Um, they've struggled with the bat a lot this season. Um, those struggles seem to be nowhere to be seen. Um, Karen Nair, um, 150, just a phenomenal knock, and, and has obviously you know added a lot to them. Um, you know, there are a lot of guys that that hit runs that um it hasn't been the case a lot so far this season. So to put 357 um past. Uh, Surrey bowling attack that features kemar Roach, um, Dan Worrell, Jamie Overton uh, Jordan Clark, Tom Laws all of which have, have been very good this season um, and then, you know, incredibly to, to bowl them out for 185 um, was, yeah, a phenomenal effort um, and it was just presumably a shock to Surrey that they had been done so cheaply because you know it's not something that you ever see um even if you get through you know a few of the top order batters um there is all, always somebody there we speak a lot about you know the depth that Surrey have got in their their batting lineup that there's always someone down at the bottom end that that can sort of dig you out of a hole um ben folks and, and jamie overton obviously tried to do that jamie overton's 51 um sort of counter-attacking style because, you know, that's how he plays um, was valuable. Um, but other than, than his runs and, and Ben Folk's few runs, you know, trying to glue the innings together, there wasn't an awful lot um, in the way of, um, you know, getting in behind and and just picking off runs. So it was a phenomenal effort from Northampton. It was a, a very below-par effort from Surrey. Um, but then, you know, to, to save the game, Rory Burns and, and Dom Sibley were fantastic Rory Burns has not been um, at his best or anywhere close to it this season, but to, to bat for as long as he did alongside Bon Sibley, who can do that in his sleep, you know, just sitting behind and, and just tick over, maybe not be bot- too bothered about scoring runs, but just occupy the crease and frustrate the bowlers. Um, it was a great effort by both of them um, and obviously ensured that they weren't, you know, shocked with another another low low score and, um crucially keep them top of the table and, and essentially put, um, put them in the driver's seat for, for the championship now.
0: Well, they are, aren't they? I know it's not mathematically guaranteed. Something crazy could happen. Who knows in that final round? But it does look incredibly unlikely at this stage of the season that things would go that terribly for Surrey, given how consistent they have been over the course of this summer. And it's interesting, actually. They mentioned about Rory Burns in particular there, Kieran, because he hasn't had the best seasons by standards. 597 runs, averaging 28.42. But the thing which just stands out to me, absolutely screams out from a Surrey perspective, is the consistency of their batting. Eight players have a 40-plus average in the first-class game over the course of this summer, which is absolutely brilliant, to be completely honest. Compare that to my county of Warwickshire we only have Sam Hain who's average 47 so the fact that eight of their players are averaging 40 or more is a testament to the immense skill the immense talents the immense fortitude that that Surrey batting lineup possesses and that they are worthy champions i don't think anyone can really deny that you even look at this game where they were massively under the cosh they really did underperform and yet they still found the steel didn't they they found the resolve it's what champions do in moments of adversity they shone They batted out the game, they got those five valuable points, and that does look like they've secured the title for yet another season. So, again, we'll give the plaudits and the credits, and we'll analyse Surrey's victory in a lot more detail next week. But that was a crazy game, and I also think, Kieran, that would be a miss of us if we didn't give Jack White a lot of credit as well for his performance, not just in this game, right, in which he took a 4 but in terms of his overall performances... This season, he is Northamptonshire's leading first-class wicket-taker with 44 wickets at 26.52. Now, in a bowling attack which has struggled, aside from him and Ben Sanderson, I I think he's shone out. He really has. So, a a bit of a shout-out, actually, to Jack White today because, honestly, he he deserves a lot of plaudits for this season. I think he's been brilliant. He was impressive last year. He's built on that yet again this season, and he has been the top bowler in a North Ant shirt over the course of the summer of 2023. So thought that was important to give him a mention. And of course, Karun Nair as well, a Karnataka boy. Brilliant to see him in county cricket, scoring 150, exactly what he used to do in the Randy Trophy for Karnataka State. So yeah, shout out to Karun Nair as well. Great to see him in action in the county championship. But Kieran, aside from Surrey and North Ants, let's now take some time to, to look at the Warwickshire versus Middlesex game and take a closer look at the relegation battle. Because we, we alluded to it right at the start, but one point separates Kent and Middlesex. Anything is possible. Anything can happen. And for those who don't know the final fixtures in this year's county championship, Middlesex have a tough trip to Trent Bridge, so they face Nottinghamshire, and then Kent have Lancashire at home at the Spitfire Ground in Canterbury. So for the final time, Kieran, because we don't have any more rounds to predict how this will go. Who do you think will survive the drop? Will it be Middlesex or will it be Kent? Give me your
1: thoughts. Uh, I believe that I said Kent last week, um, and they've, they've obviously stayed one point ahead of Middlesex. Um, and I would, um, well, I wouldn't put money on it, but um, I would say that that it would just be Kent just purely on the fact that Kent's batting has been better than Middlesex's so far this season. They've been somewhat even um, in the, the the bowling statistics. Um, if you look at the, the bowling bonus points that both sides have got, they're, they're hardly separated. They're separated by five points. Um, Kent have got one of the lowest totals um, the joint lowest actually um with northants but it, it's by no means um very far adrift from from the other sides but they've got a lot more batting bonus points um and i think it, it might depend on sort of which side does what first in in either game um obviously you know depending on the strengths but i would just say the fact that they're able to bat time a little bit more than than middlesex are um i think you know there's it, it's an easier way of by either saving a game or or putting yourself in, in a good position to not lose a game if, if you're able to to put runs on the board or just occupy, occupy the crease for a little bit longer than um, maybe taking a, a lot of quick wickets. I think it, it's an easier job um, to do. Um, and for that reason, I think Kent should just survive instead of middle sets.
0: I would tend to agree, to be honest, mate. I think I also went with Kent last week. So I will stick with my prediction. I do think Kent will stay up, but... To be honest, it's been a very disappointing season, hasn't it, for both of these sides. And you mentioned Middlesex's batting bonus points in particular. The disparity is absolutely crazy, isn't it? Two batting bonus points compared to 36 bowling. That's a 34-point gap between the two disciplines. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that, to be honest, in the first division. So that really does just reflect the issues that they've had with the bat in hand this season. and. I mentioned about Surrey and eight of their players averaging over 40 in first-class cricket this summer. Middlesex don't have a single player averaging over 40. Ryan Higgins has the highest average on the team with an average of 38.23. Also the leading run scorer with 803 runs. So even if Middlesex do stay up and they have tried to address this by bringing in layers to for next season and beyond, the batting has to improve. Regardless of whether they're in Division 1 or Division 2, I don't know exactly how they go about fixing it. Deploy might be the answer to that, and it might not be an issue next season. But that is the discipline that they have got to work on tirelessly over the course of the winter. And to be honest, I think they need an overseas bat as well. Just looking at the balance, they tried it with Peter Milan. If they can get an experienced international quality player, a bit like a Pajara, for example, with Sussex or Ali for Worcestershire, I do think the batting issues can be quashed, but yeah, that's definitely been a massive issue for the Saxes of Middlesex over the course of this summer. But talking of Middlesex, Kieran, and I did mention this ever so slightly earlier on, or I should say I alluded to it, but a legend of the county circuits, international cricket, county cricket, pretty much all cricket, to be honest, over the years, has announced his retirement from professional cricket, and that is, of course, Tim Murtagh an absolute titan of Middlesex County Cricket Club, took over a 1,000 wickets for the London County. And if you look at the stats and the, the figures which he's produced over the years, 959 wickets in first-class cricket, 277 wickets in List A cricket, 113 wickets in T20 cricket, and 13 test wickets in three test matches for Ireland, including that unforgettable 5-for-13 against England at Lords in 2019. A few words on a titan of county cricket, Kieran. Tim Murta, how much are you going to miss him heading into next season and beyond?
1: Um, yeah, he's it, just been like a constant in, in county cricket over um, over his career. I mean, the, the statistics speak for themselves. Uh, it was a really good photo um, where the, the entire um everybody on the pitch the umpires uh, the players on both sides gave him a, a guard of honour when he came out to bat um on his final game um and I think it it sort of speaks volumes of his of his quality as a cricketer that he took eight wickets in this game he very much could still continue if he wanted to um, and I think that's um you know that you want to go out on top um you want to go out you know knowing that you could still offer more but maybe not having the drive to do so anymore you know you look at Stuart broad's retirement from test cricket going out right on the top um for him it, it will be a disappointment um a little bit if if his side aren't don't stay in, in division 1 for next season um obviously it, it won't matter to him because he won't be playing but you don't want to leave um senior side go down but um yeah i think it it, it just it's an indictment of, of how good of a cricketer he is and, and has been throughout his career that, that he's still managing to take a lot of wickets at this stage in, in his career. Um and you know it, it shows that that he's still still good enough and and has been good enough for for so many years. I mean to be to be 42 um 42 years old and, and still be taking the wickets that he is um and, and bowling you know, quality spells and and taking a lot of wickets and, and just generally being a, a fantastic cricketer. Um not only um his his quality on the field, but you know, just sort of his character to, to keep wanting to do that and to to have the drive to to still be as, as good as he has been um through the late stage of his career. So um, you know, massive respect to him um and and even though, you know, Middlesex might go down, um, he has continued fighting right, right to the end.
0: He certainly has, Kieran, and he's been like that his entire career, hasn't he? Tim Murtry, he just doesn't know how to give up. And that is a wonderful, wonderful trait. It's a wonderful characteristic for any cricketer. And he should serve as an inspiration, to be honest, because he's not always had it easy in county crickets. And yet he comes back every single season, dominates first-class crickets, a major part of that unforgettable championship victory in 2016. Mertz, we're going to miss you. But at the same time, it's good to see that he will remain with the club in a coaching capacity. He's not completely leaving the game. He's not leaving England. He's not even leaving London. He'll be back at Middlesex as a coach in the summer of 2024. But as I said, the the stats, the figures, the numbers speak for themselves. And Kieran, you mentioned that 6 for 83 that he took in the first innings against my county of Warwickshire. That was his 40th career first-class fifer unbelievable bowler. To be honest, I don't think many opponents are going to miss him because the amount of movement that he could generate was crazy. Always in the wickets, but again, for us as county cricket fans, as appreciators, as, as lovers of the game, we are going to miss watching Tim Murtagh in action, so wishing him all the very best of luck heading into to next season and, of course, the years beyond in his new coaching role. But aside from Murtagh as well, Kieran, Jack Brooks leaving Somerset as well. The veteran Oxford seamer leaving the West Country outfits at the conclusion of this season. So that'll be a pretty big loss for Somerset in particular in Red Bull cricket. And actually, Somerset were the last county that I wanted to discuss for this week's podcast in terms of the Division 1 sides because they've had a funny season, haven't they? The the West Country outfits, 140 points from their 13 matches. They are mathematically safe in the first division, but that weight, the elusive weight from Maiden County Championship title still lingers on so what have you made of of their campaign this summer i know at times they've been a bit unlucky with the weather but you could say that about numerous counties so how do you summarize somerset's performances in the county championship this season uh
1: i seem to recall i can't remember if i said it in the in the preview show but i was actually worried that they might be down there um at the start of the season and i can't really remember what what my thinking for that was. it was potentially the, the bowling, um, but you know you look at how they've they've gone so far this season. Um, the bowling points haven't been a problem. The batting points haven't really been a problem. And um, obviously they've, they've lost four games. Um, they, they've they've only won three, but they've you know they've drawn enough games to to stay afloat. Um, they've had a lot of good performances by by a lot of players. And um, you look at, at the likes of Lewis Gregory has been. You know very good all season. Um the signing of Tom Coller Cadmore has been a been a very good one. Um, you know, the explosivity that, that he's he's shown and James Rue has been, you know, one of, if not the best batter, um in the championship so far this season, um, or certainly in, in division one. Um it would be unfair to to say that Alex Lees hasn't been in that conversation as well, but obviously playing in Division Two. Um so yeah, I think from my perspective, um, it, it looks a little bit like they, they've overachieved, but you look at the squad that they've managed to put together, um, and you might argue that they've slightly underachieved um, because of you know the performances performances that they've managed to put in. Um, but they've certainly not not been in any danger. They've not really looked like they've been in any danger of going down, um, and after a good season and, and you know the youth of the likes of, of Rue coming through, um, they can build upon that for, for next season and um, you know, could sort of challenge towards the top end if they um if they get it right next season.
0: Well uh, I think the, the batting, to be honest, still is a little bit of a worry for me personally. Uh, I think that's just what I see from a Somerset perspective and uh, I think quite a few of the fans would agree with that. I know the the batting bonus points haven't been absolutely dreadful this season. In fact, they've got 25. It's one of the better in in terms of the whole division, but it's just consistency, isn't it? That's the issue. The fact is they do have one or two players every innings, like James Roo, for example, or Tom Lamanby or Tom Abel, who go big, but they they seem to suffer too many collapses, Somerset. I'm not entirely sure why, but yeah, I do hope they come back stronger next season. I know they have been unlucky with the weather, as we did mention, but... I think they did recruit quite well as, as well in the in the overseas department in particular. Matt Henry was an excellent signing. Peter Siddle as well. So there's definitely hope for Somerset. And James Rue is very much the the epitome of that, isn't he? He is the star boy. He's the next man in waiting from a Somerset perspective. But, yeah, I still feel that batting in comparison to Essex and Surrey. I, I do think that's an area of weakness for the West Country outfits, which they need to address heading into next season. But We'll wait and see. The main thing for Somerset is another season of Division 1 cricket, and they have secured that in 2023. So, Kieran, before we discuss Division 2 and we look at the results, we look at the table, and we analyse the games in the second division this week, who have you gone with in terms of the the standout performance of the week? Because we're not exactly short of options, are we? Let's face it, in the first division, there were plenty of good performances. We've mentioned Karen Nair's 150, Sam Robson scored 107 at Lords. Will Rhodes, also scored 102 in that match. Tim Murtagh with a 6 for 83. Oliver Hannan-Dorby with 5 for 29. Then, of course, that crazy game in Chelmsford. Tom Prest getting his maiden first-class century. A wonderful moment for an incredibly talented young cricketer. So, in terms of the, the overall picture in Division 1 this week, who have you gone with in terms of your standout performance in the first division?
1: Um, I have opted for Liam Dawson, um from mainly a batting perspective in in that that final innings of the game. Um, you know, alongside James Vince, who was obviously, you know, very good as well. Um, I just think for for Liam Dawson, and it was mentioned on commentary a little bit that um that he wasn't able to get his side over the line in the one day cup final. Um and, and that it would be um yeah it was it was a bit of a redemptive innings in that you know though he managed to put in a, a good performance in the one day cup final make a half century he wasn't able to get his side over the line um and i think it was when he got out that the commentators made the point that he, even though he wasn't there um wasn't able to be there at the end because he got himself out he hit 119 um and he put his side on course for, for the win um and then the, the guys below him managed to to get them over the line, but without his knock, that wouldn't have been possible. Without James Vince's knock, it, it wouldn't have been either. Um, and that that uh, batting partnership was was what what did it for them. And I think because um, Dawson wasn't able to get his side over the line, it it just meant that little bit more for him. Um, and I'm sure that was maybe in the back of his mind as he as he was batting that he wanted to get his side as close as he possibly could, you know, so that. They, they weren't um, suffering from from the disappointment of yet another another big loss and it, it's probably one of their biggest wins of the season um, and they were able to to win that game largely because of Liam Dawson's knock um, so for me um, the importance of the game and, and the, the sort of background for it um, I think it, it uh, I think Liam Dawson is a, a very fair pick.
0: It is, Kieran, and in fact, I've also gone with Liam Dawson because it was the game of the week, wasn't it? It was the one with the biggest ramifications, and he turned up, didn't he, when his side needed him the most. So, yep, Liam Dawson, I think we're both in agreement there, the standout performer in the first division this week. But I I did have a couple of honourable mentions, actually. First and foremost, Lewis Goldsworthy from Somerset. Great to see him racking up 122. Joe Denley in that game as well with that 73. I know Kent couldn't get the extra batting bonus points, but they could have been skittled without his knock him and Marcus O'Riordan with that partnership, gritty, steely, determined partnership. If they would have been steamrolled at that moment in the game, it could be a very different picture heading into this final round of action. So Joe Denley, 73, I also think does need a bit of a mention. And finally, just from a personal perspective, Matthew Hurst, just 54 out on, on first class debut. Great to see the young Lancashire wicketkeeper in action and definitely took his opportunity on his debut for the Red Rose. So, again, lots of performances in the first division this week in what was a very, very rain-affected round. But, again, as has been the case on many an occasion over the course of this summer, the first division definitely has provided the goods with both the bats and the ball in hand. And, Kieran, it hasn't just been the first division, has it, over the course of this season? Of course, the second division has also provided us with plenty of thrills and spills over the course of these last few months. So. Let's take a look at the results in Division 2 at the conclusion of the 15th round. Starting first and foremost in Worcester, where Worcestershire and Durham played out a high-scoring draw at New Road. Then we go to Leicester, where Leicestershire and Yorkshire also played out a draw at the Upton Steel County Ground, a.k.a. Grace Road. And finally in Derby, Derbyshire and Sussex played out a draw at the Encora Ground. So as a result of those three matches, still at the top, And the confirmed champions of the second division back in Division 1 next season are, of course, Durham on 209 points. In second are the Pairs of Worcestershire on 162 points. They only need two more points and they will join Durham in the first division next season. So, again, Worcestershire all but promoted by an absolute miracle. In third are the Foxes of Leicestershire on 140 points. In fourth, after a 12-point deduction... Are Sussex on 131 points in fifth, also on 131 points. Are Glamorgan in sixth, a Derbyshire on 104 points in seventh, a Gloucestershire on 95 points, and in eighth and still bottom place of Division Two are the White Rose of Yorkshire on 89 points. So, Kieran, I suppose we have to address the elephant in the room, which is of course Sussex, because let's be honest, it's been an incredibly embarrassing week for the Martlets, both on and off the field, I suppose, in particular, as a result of a fallout from the Leicestershire game. Because we didn't really touch upon it, but there were some pretty ugly scenes in that match. And I think that myself, yourself, and Matt as well, we were all a little bit caught up in the in the fact that Sussex could get promoted. But their ill discipline in that match has ultimately cost them the season, hasn't it? It's cost them promotion, it's cost them the the use of Pajara for this week because the captain was suspended as a result of those discipline offences mounting up. Then, of course, you have Tom Haynes and Jack Carson being suspended by the club for that ill discipline, in particular Carson's. I still can't believe he he did that. He tried to trip Ben Cox up in the middle of a match. Could not believe it. I really couldn't. And then, just the the final nail in the Sussex coffin for this week, there is an ECB investigation going on against Greek seamer Ari Velas for an alleged racist remark against Leicestershire overseas player Umar Ramin. So in terms of the past few days, what on earth have you made of the events that we've witnessed down on the South coast this week?
1: Um, It doesn't look great, does it? Um, Obviously the the ill discipline on on the field, um, you know, isn't something that you really want to see um, at any point in the season um, or, you know, in any game. Um, and I think it it's, it sort of looks embarrassing on them because they would have had the chance to, to be promoted um, along with Durham had um, they not been given the points deduction. And also the fact that they, they beat Leicestershire uh, in that game. Um, so it's sort of like you, you didn't need to. You don't need to anyway. Um, but, you know, they were on top um, for the majority of that game. Leicestershire, had they won it, it would have been a phenomenal win. It would have been you Know probably the best win that anybody's had all season, chasing the mammoth total of 499 or whatever it was. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's not something that, that you want to see it, uh, in any game or, or at any point of the season. Um, but I think it, it looks slightly embarrassing on, on Sussex due to the fact that um, they could have gone up along with Durham had they not had the point seduction, um, and also they won the Leicestershire game. Um, so it, it was it's unnecessary anyway but it's very unnecessary when when it's a game that, that you've won you've come out on top and then you know you you sort of pushed back down due to your own actions um and you know it, it just looks a bit silly because that they've won that game um that they were on top for the majority of the game um you know had leicester won it it would have been a fantastic win but um sussex were, were sort of ahead of the entire game so whether or not those those incidents did have anything to do with it, whether or not that they sort of got an edge out of it, I, I doubt it. I think Sussex would have won the game anyway. So it just sort of looks a bit a bit silly from from that point of view. Um, the, there's a lot of conjecture about what's what sort of been been said and, and what's gone on in the game, which you know I don't really want to get into without sort of knowing the ins and outs. But um, you know the the Carson incident, for example, um, even though it, it, it's not a massive thing any sort of physical contact against an, uh, an opponent, you, you can't do it, you know, how, how, no matter how big or small it is. So, um, you know, little things like that really don't help the side. Um, and the fact that, you know, the captain is always going to get banned for for stuff like that because, you know, you're supposed to have control over the team. Um, I've, I've seen it suggested that Sussex need an actual captain rather than somebody that's just quite good at cricket um, that might have been able to marshal marshal the troops a little bit better. How fair on, on Cheshua Pajara that is, I'm I'm not sure. Um he's obviously there as a cricketer. He he he's the captain um sort of because he is he is the best player, um, but you know that it, it's a team full of grown men, no matter how young some of them might be, they, they should have control over their own actions. So while it's unfair that, that Pajara might be um tied with the same brush and and that he gets banned, that that is the way that it goes. Um so I I don't think it's fair that, that the suggestion that that um, he's at fault, even though you know, as a captain, it is sort of your your responsibility. But uh, as I say, um, grown men should should have control over their own actions. Um, and uh, it, it's unfortunate, you know, for them um, for, for the last round that one of the best batters in the world was unavailable because of the actions of the rest of the side. Um, and yeah, uh, it, it's not looked very very good on them, and, and I'm sure or you would hope that they would learn from it and, and ensure that it doesn't happen again because, you know, it has ruined the season, um, which could have ended up as a very good one had it not happened.
0: Exactly, and I think that's the overriding feeling and sentiment which I would express as a result of this. It's disappointment, isn't it? Let's face it, it's completely self-inflicted. They've shot themselves in the foot massively. And to be honest, I do give credit to Paul Farbrace for being strong and actually going, you know what? We have misbehaved on the field, and as a result, we're not going to tolerate that as a club. And those internal suspensions, I do think, were the right decision. I also do think that Tom Haynes and Jack Carson will learn from this. I don't think they're idiots. I think they just got caught up in the heat of the, of the moment. But uh, again, they, they overstepped the mark, didn't they? They crossed the line. You can't escape that unscathed, in particular, given the ramifications and the consequences of this. You think of all of the hard work for 12 matches you've toiled away. You've got yourselves back in a position to reach Division 1 and you've thrown it away in an innings. It's really frustrating and I completely feel for the Sussex fans, first and foremost, because they've travelled up and down the country to watch this team, they've watched them on the live streams, they've listened to them all season, and it's been a good season for the most part. But to throw it away like that, it's ridiculous and it is something that they do need to learn from. Whether or not that comes from a change of captain, I have seen that being thrown about, so. Maybe that is something which the Martlets could employ heading into next season. And then, of course, the whole incident with Carvelas, I was in shock, to be honest, when I heard about that. Obviously, we can't, we can't comment too much because, A, we weren't there. And, of course, B, there's an investigation going on. So we can't really say anything concrete until that has been concluded. But in terms of what was alleged to have been said, absolutely no room for that in the game. It was an incredibly foolish remark to make. So, to be completely honest, it's been a very, very dark week for Sussex, and all that we can say is that they need to educate themselves and improve, don't they? Heading into next season, they have to learn from this. And if they do, they can have a good season, they can bounce back in 2024, but, yeah, incredibly disappointed and, yeah, a very, very underwhelming and anticlimactic way for their season to finish in the summer of 2023, but... Kieran, aside from Sussex and all of the negativity surrounding the Marlets this week, and to be honest, it's completely justified for this week. But going on to a team which obviously has had a bit more of a positive time this week, let's talk about Worcestershire, because they deserve a lot of plaudits, don't they, for their performances this summer. Last year, they didn't really compete so much for promotion, but this season, they've all but guaranteed their place in the first division for next year. So in terms of Worcestershire, just a few words on the West Midlands' outfits, how impressed have you been with their performances over the course of these last few months
1: yeah they've obviously been really good and um, they wouldn't be in the position that they are um having not been um and you know the bowling attack um specifically has been um the the, the better suit um but both sides uh, of of the side have have managed to to win them a lot of games. Other than Durham, they've won the most games in in Division Two, um, and they've only lost two. So you know it, it's a side that um, you know are, are, are very together, um, and and they've they've got a good idea about how they're going to play the cricket, and they go about it and they they do it very well. Um, this game, obviously, there wasn't. You know, much chance of a result. Only two innings being played. Um, the weather obviously um, hasn't helped there. But you know, throughout the season, um, there's been a lot of players that have stood up and and you know held the hand up and and been difference for for Worcestershire. Um, whether or not they'll struggle next season because of a couple of exits. Um, you know, particularly in the in the seam bowling department. Um, and then you know, you've got Jack Haynes as well. Um, but at least those guys that are leaving um have you know put their stamp on the side and, and got them into a position that um the rest of the squad around them um they will hope will be able to come come together and, and have as good a season next year as they have this season and hopefully stay afloat. Um as I as I mentioned earlier with with Essex that the exits that they've got um coming from the side this season um into next season it will be tough for them. The, the same goes um, to Worcestershire, but you know they, they've put themselves in a good position this season, and and you know if, if they play like they have, um, irrega- uh, regardless of um, the exits, um, there'll be a difficult side for anybody to play against. Um, they, they have been all, all season, um, so it, it looks very well, almost certain that they're going to be promoted, and obviously they, they've deserved it.
0: They really have, and yeah, we mentioned about them all but being promoted. Let's face it, at this stage, it probably is, because the gap between them and Leicestershire is now 22 points. I don't see Worcestershire not even getting two points. I just don't see a reality in which that happens, to be honest. So I do think Worcestershire are basically there next season, and a massive, massive factor in that has been the batting of Jake Libby, who has scored 1,012 runs, an average of 53.26 over the course of 11 matches this summer, he scored 300s, 550s. He's just a rock, isn't he? He is Mr. Reliable in that Worcestershire batting lineup. And we, we look ahead to next season. Rob Jones comes into the mix. Tom Taylor as well, obviously, from Northants on that long-term deal. They have already made some acquisitions. But I, I do agree, Kieran. I think the bowling does look a little bit light. I think they've got quite a bit of recruiting to do over the course of this winter because they're losing Pennington. They're losing Josh Tongue. They've now lost Mitchell Stanley to Lancashire as well. So that, that's a lot of, of bowling quality gone there. But in terms of the batting, I do actually think they'll be okay. I know that a lot of Worcestershire fans have been a little bit apprehensive with the batting this season. And for the most part, I think they're right to have been because it hasn't been the best season for every single one of their players. But in terms of the, the talent that that batting lineup possesses, I think they'll come back quite strong next season. I really do. You've got Azarali in there again. You've got Jake Libby, Gareth Roderick, Adam Hose who has previous Division One experience for Warwickshire. I do think Worcestershire will be okay in a batting sense. It's just the bowling. That's where I'm a little bit apprehensive. But again, there is still the off-season to go, so we'll wait and see who Worcestershire recruits in that department. Wouldn't mind seeing Logan Van Beek back, to be honest. Just in terms of the overseas department, I think he'd be quite a good signing, but... Again, we'll wait and see what happens in the West Midlands over the course of these upcoming months. But, yeah, shout outs to the whole coaching staff at Worcestershire and, of course, the captain, Brett Oliveira, because they've done a wonderful job given all of the the instability, I suppose, and the uncertainty which has been going on at the club over the course of the summer to get promotion is absolutely huge. And they're in the first division for the first time, potentially, since 2017. So, A very, very promising season indeed for the pairs of Worcestershire County Cricket Club. But, Kieran, aside from Worcestershire, just one of the county which I did want to take another closer look at is Leicestershire. Because they've had the highs, they've had the elation, the ecstasy of lifting the Metro Bank One Day Cup in an incredible final, as we discussed in our review show. But in terms of the championship, it does now look like a bridge too far, doesn't it? 22-point gap. It would take a miracle at this point as a result of the bad weather in Leicester this week. Completely cost them the chance of a victory against the White Rose of Yorkshire. So in terms of Leicestershire's chances next season, how do you summarise their chances? Because they have lost some key players. So for example, Colin Ackerman and Callum Parkinson making the move up north to Durham. And then Chris Wright is going to Sussex. But they've also brought in Liam Travaskis and Ben Cox as well. And of course, Peter Hanscom is returning to the club in 2024 so in terms of the foxes of leicestershire how do you rate their chances heading into next season's county championship
1: i think it will be tough for them to replicate what they've done this season um obviously from from where they were last season this has been a massive step up for them um but you look at the impact of the likes of chris wright and um, particularly um you know with the ball. And actually, a little bit with the bat. Um, certainly, earlier on in the season, um, he he was going very well. Um, Colin Ackerman in that middle order. Um, you know, he he's been a really vital part of of the middle order. You look at um, the likes of of Rayan Ahmed, Peter Hanscom, Vian Mulder, and then Colin Ackerman in there. He's obviously been a vital part. You take him out; it's obviously still a very good middle order. Um, if Vian Mulder is to come back, obviously with with um, Hanscom returning, um, Rayan Ahmed. However much he plays, you know, depending on if he is a little bit more in the mix with England. Um, if he's not, you know, there's still a lot of good players there above them. Um, Rishi Patel has been phenomenal all season. Saul Boddington's had a good season. Um, you look at if Harry Swindles is is given a contract for next season after the last week that he's had. It's it's been a very redemptive. Um, week for him if I was the, the person in charge I would I would be you know telling him to that, that he's got a new contract coming his way um I think he's earned that and you know if um there is now a, a gap in that well obviously there is now a gap in in that middle order with uh Colin Ackerman leaving if everyone just shifts up one Harry Swindles slots in maybe purely as a batter um depending on um you know, Ben Cox is going to take the gloves. So um, if they are to offer Harris Wendels a contract from how he's performed over the past, um, essentially, week and and a little bit, um, I don't see any reason to suggest why he couldn't sort of fill the void. He maybe isn't quite the player that Colin Ackerman is, but um, I don't think it's a massive step down in quality from how he's performed um, this this week and a bit. So if he could continue doing that, there's enough good players around Hanscom, Patel um, particularly, um, that Leicester could have another good season. I think the exits are, are going to hurt them, but I think there are enough good players around to ensure that it's not a massive loss for them. Um, those players, even though they have been really important um, members of the side, I think the bowling attack, um, it will be a little bit weaker without Wright, but I think the batting, I don't think there's going to be an awful lot of a change um, from from this season to the next just because
0: Ackerman's leaving. To be honest, Kieran, I do think the the two bowling departures probably are the areas where, where Leicestershire might struggle a bit more because Ackerman's a fantastic player and they'll no doubt struggle to replace him. You can't replace him. He's been such a consistent performer across all three formats for the East Midlands County. But by bringing in Ben Cox, bringing back Peter Hanscom, Vian Mulder should be back next season as well because he did sign a two-year deal at the end of the 2022 season, I do think they've got the batting capabilities. It's just the bowling, isn't it? And that is an area which they will have to reinforce. With that being said, they've got Rian Ahmed, one of the most exciting prospects probably in the world right now, let alone county cricket. Everyone is incredibly excited to see how he develops over the course of these next few years. Then, of course, you've got Josh Hull, who's burst onto the scene this year in both white ball and red ball cricket. So, They've got the options. And then, of course, another breakthrough star has been Rishi Patel. This time with the bat in hand, over a 1,000 runs for Rishi in the county championship this season. So it's just a case of finding those, those last few pieces, isn't it? And unfortunately, in 2023, they don't seem to have found them in comparison to Worcestershire or Durham. But there's no saying that they can't find them for next season. So, again, let's just wait and see what happens at Grace Road over the course of the winter. It'll be a very, very interesting off-season. But if Leicester should do make the right recruitments and they add the right pieces to that puzzle, they could be back in the first division for the first time since 2003. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. But yeah, either way, I do think 2023 has offered a massive, massive improvement for the Foxes and they should be proud. If you said to them at the, the start of the season, you're going to, to win the Metro Bank One Day Cup and finish third in the Championship. I think you'd take that, to be honest. So I don't think Leicestershire can really complain at the end of this season. But, Kieran, just one final thing that I wanted to discuss before we get on to our performance of the week in the second division and wrap up today's episode is, is Derbyshire, actually, because we alluded to them last week in bits and pieces. They're losing Leicester deploy as we mentioned beforehand. But in terms of their campaign... What have you made of of their performances in the championship? Because it's been a very weird season, hasn't it, for the East Midlands County?
1: Um, yeah, I mean the fact that they've not won a game doesn't look fantastic, um, but they've drawn quite a lot. So you know it's not as if they've they've not been competitive at all, um, and they, they've only lost four games, um, which you know out of thirteen games played, that's not awful. Um, there have been some some bright sparks. Um Harry Kane has been um has come on a lot this season. Lewis Reese is obviously um very good asset, both sides of the ball, um, you know, bat and ball. Brooke Guest has been has been very good. Um and you know, the the, the seam department, um, you know, Zach Chapel, George Scrimshaw obviously, you know, got himself um England recognition. Um losing um scrimshaw particularly um isn't great for them um and you know losing deploy obviously he's i would assume their top run scorer um in the championship this season having hit you know a a thousand runs or something um he's obviously been a phenomenal asset for them and so again as with with a lot of other sides there are exits um and actually, with with Derbyshire, there are quite a lot of exits, um, which will make it a lot tougher for them next season. Um, but yeah, that, that doesn't particularly bode well for for them. From you know where they've been been this season, having not won a game, whether or not it'll be the same next season, that they have to, you know, have uh, you know a little bit of recruitment go on from the the sheer amount of players that they're losing. Um, I'm sure you've probably got the uh, the statistic of of how many players are, are leaving. Um, I don't think it's been a terrible season, um, but, you know, a lot of the, the more quality assets aren't going to be there next season. So um, they might sort of have a little bit of a drop-off because as, as good as, um, you know, the likes of, of Lewis Reese um, and, and Harry Kane um, are, and there's, there's a few other guys dotted around as well, um, losing a lot of talent obviously isn't isn't going to be fantastic when you've not particularly been fantastic so far um, throughout this season.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting off-season for Derbysh because, as you rightfully mentioned, Kieran, so many departures. So in terms of the incomings first and foremost, Mohamed Amir will join the club for the first half of the season as an overseas player. Then we've mentioned already the the signing of David Lloyd here on the podcast coming in from Glamorgan adds experience, adds leadership qualities as well. So I think he'll be a great signing, to be honest, for the club. And then Pat Brown from Worcestershire in ball crickets will also be an excellent signing. But so many players are leaving the club. So Billy Goddardman leaving the club at the end of this season. And then we had the, the massive news, wasn't it, that five more players were set to leave the club. So Archie Harrison, Matty McKinnon, he's retired to become a coach, Mark Watt, Tom Wood and Saranga Lakmal are all leaving the Encora ground ahead of next season. So, even though they've brought three players in, they've lost six massive names. And then, of course, they've lost the talisman, Leas Deploy, the leading run scorer for the club and the second leading run scorer in the entire division. How on earth do you replace 1,176 runs? I don't think you can, but they need a real, real standout player. And I just don't see where it's going to come from. So... Whether or not it's a case of promoting academy lads or whether it's a case of of bringing in players who have been released. I know that there is a lot of talk about Samit Patel potentially joining the club, but whether or not we'll see him in, in Red Bull cricket remains to be seen. I do think next season will be a pretty difficult season for the East Midlands side. But then again, look at Leicestershire. Leicestershire are a great example of this. Sometimes a rebuild is needed and if it's done in the right way and the right pieces are put in place, you can be successful in the long run. So. We'll wait and see with Derbyshire, but I do think they will definitely be a club to watch out for over the course of these winter months. But, Kieran, aside from our chats about Derbyshire, let's head to our our closing segment of the week then. And that is, of course, our our Championship Performer of the Week in the second division. So there were plenty to choose from. We had Scott Borthwick scoring 134 out at New Road. Harry Swindles had a fantastic week, didn't he? Following up his his match-winning century in the Metro Bank One Day Cup final with an excellent 73 on home soil. And then, of course, the the Derbyshire duo of of Sam Connors and Zach Chappell, both taking four wickets in a game in which Lewis Rees scored 86 against Sussex. So, in terms of your standout performance, what did you select, mate?
1: Um, I think that the biggest performance this week has been um, that Scott Borthwick, um, you know, a game that... Didn't really mean a lot for, for Durham after the the promotion anyway, and then the fact that there was basically no way that it was going to be a result after um you know losing so much of the game, it was just sort of a, an opportunity to go out there and and you know have that batting practice. Um, he walked off with 134 not out, um having batted for um the entirety of of that um, truncated innings. Um you know in a truncated game um I didn't actually realize how aesthetically pleasing Scott Borthwick is to watch until I I saw him at Scarborough for the 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 short period that he he battled until um it rained for the you know the majority of the um, second two two and a half days um and and, you know the same again when he gets into full flow he looks phenomenal um and it was sort of um you know reward for the season and, and sort of like a uh, a fitting um way to, to go towards the end of the season that the captain would would hit an unbeaten century um on the, the sort of week that they are, are crowned champions. So I think um for the, the performance and, and how fitting it was um I have gone for Scott Borthwick.
0: Fair enough. Can't really argue with that. I've also gone with Scott Borthwick because it was a great not wasn't it? And also I think it was the only century in the second division this week. So for that reason as well, pretty obvious. Scott Borthwick, the captain of Durham, leading his side to the Division 2 title in some fashion. Yeah, definite standout performer of the Weekends. I suppose my honourable mention would be to Leicestershire's Will Davis, scoring 44 out and then following up with a 4 for a Great week for him as well, after taking that incredible catch on the boundary in the final at Trent Bridge last Saturday. So, yeah, I think we're in agreement there, Kieran. Scott Borthwick, the performer of the Weekends. Yeah, it's, it's still all to play for, isn't it? In particular, the bottom of the First Division. Heading into the 16th and final round of action. It's going to be tense. It really is. And fingers crossed the weather does not play spoil sport. Because can you imagine getting relegated because of a rain-affected draw? It'd be absolutely heartbreaking. So, honestly, folks, we are wishing Middlesex and Kent all the best of luck heading into their final fixtures. It's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be a scrap. It probably won't be pretty. But either way, one of those sides will be heading down to the second division. And by the end of this week, we will know which side it is. So keep your eyes peeled in both the East Midlands and the Southeast over the course of these next few days. But that is it for myself and Kieran for today's episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.